Are you ready to get real? Welcome to Real Estate, the world's loneliest career, where you're always out of balance, unfulfilled, the role models are fake, the numbers unattainable, and you're just supposed to be and do it all. Join three self-made millionaire real estate agents, wives, moms, and business owners as we level up, learn from special guests, and elevate and disrupt an entire industry through real education our way. Walker Adair. I hope I pronounced that right. Did I get it right? That's correct. Okay. So I've followed Walker for like forever and 17 days. He's super funny, super duper authentic and real. He's up in the great white North Canada, which uh, I think is going to be super interesting. That's one of the reasons like we really wanted to talk to him about what's happening in the States here versus what's happening in Canada. Um, but Walker is the self-proclaimed queen of real estate. And, and he really is, uh, I agree with that. He's anti-formal and rarely will wear formal attire when working or for headshots, which I love. Walker was born and raised in far Northern Canada in a town of less than a thousand people. Ooh, interesting. And he's the youngest of five siblings with ages ranging from 27 to mid 50s. So I, I knew you had a sister that you worked with. Yeah, so my sister's my business partner actually, and she's 29, she's two years older than me. And then I've got three brothers and I think a sister somewhere. There's a lot of us, I don't know. And my brothers are in their 50s and 40s, so. And you are a Keller Williams agent, right? Up in like tell us your market so that people can contact you if they have referrals i run a real estate team we do a lot of relocations mostly in vancouver and uh, we service all of the lower mainland so within about an hour and a half to two hour drive east so vancouver up to like chilliwack is where i service so it's a pretty big area with my team nice I love vancouver it's beautiful there my son is obsessed with vancouver oh i love it too expensive but beautiful yeah <laughs> I've never seen more super and hyper cars in one place. Oh, I know. So I go out, I see like a Lambo or a Ferrari or multiple Rolls Royces. So Wow, lots of money there then, obviously, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I have friends that go there every year to go hella skiing. And they say it's oh. like amazing. But I'm not jumping out of a helicopter on the snow. No, thanks. I don't do that stuff. I don't do any extreme sports. I'm very boring and, you know, yeah. Even though we have free healthcare, I don't really want to hurt myself. <laughs> I mean, I feel like sometimes following your dating adventures is a little bit of an extreme sport. <laughs> um, it's true. It is true. I, yeah, my dating adventures are kind of crazy. Flying to Thailand on a <laughs> first date. Oh. <laughs> so tell us your story about your entry to real estate and how that came about. It was like something you always knew you wanted to do. How did you start in real estate? Yeah. So I always kind of wanted to do it. And uh, I remember growing up, I wasn't out. I'm gay. So it's kind of obvious, I think. But I'm <laughs> growing up, you know, my, I always wanted to do real estate. I remember my family saying, oh, that's like a gay industry. You can't do that. And I was from a tiny town. Right. Like, like I said, like up in like 12, 15 hour drive north from Vancouver is where I'm from. And um, I mean, so I was kind of forced into school. My family's like, go to university, get a real job, 
blah, blah, blah. So I went to university for a couple of years, hated it and dropped out with a lot of student debt. And I was actually in petroleum, en petroleum engineering. And yeah, I did not like it. My whole family's from oil because Northern BC and Alberta is oil. That's where the money is. So they're like going to oil. I tried, didn't like it and dropped out seven years ago. Actually, it's funny. A Facebook memory popped up yesterday and it was seven years ago. And when I first moved to Vancouver and I was living in my car and I couldn't find affordable housing, it was like really hard. So I was living in my car for about like three or four weeks. And I finally found like an affordable place to live, which was a thousand dollars a month for like a room. And that was seven years ago yesterday. And I've been a realtor now just for over six years. So I moved here seven years ago, knew I wanted to get into real estate. So I was studying the market, studying Vancouver and um, living in my car. And I would basically sleep during the day and drive around all night because I was scared to sleep at night. And I learned all the areas over at night. And I actually went into school here for a year, dropped out and just got my license six years ago, August 5th. And um, just took off, started door knocking. And um, I knew nobody here in Vancouver. Like I moved here, I was fresh. I'd never been here before even. And I basically dropped myself in the market. I knew what I had to do to make money and be successful. And I just went and did it. And uh, worked my butt off. And six years later, here I am running a team with my sister. And I think I'm doing pretty well in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a crazy ride. So you literally weird. went from homeless, sleeping in your car, to a, a team owner. That's pretty super powerful in, in six years. In six years, from 20, basically 20, well, seven years. From 20 years old to 27. I'm only 27 now. So, like, my 20s have been a ride. I was, like, literally homeless. Just came out of the closet to my family and got disowned by a whole bunch of them. And, um, I mean, just, like, a couple months ago, my mom passed away. She was, like, my biggest supporter. and. Um, yeah, that's actually why I had to reschedule the first time because it was like two days after she had passed away and I was like, yeah, I'm not really like game for a podcast. Place. Yeah, I'm so sorry for your loss. I, I saw that. That's really sad. It was, it's, been a, it's been a ride, but you know, my mom, I know she'd be proud. I got to live. I had a whole bunch of dreams I wanted to do for her before she passed away and um, like buy her a house, give her like $10,000 cash, just spoil the hell out of her. And I did that, you know, I, I bought two homes in the last year and one of them she was going to move into the coach house on. And so I was, able, you know, she was actually supposed to do that in like September, October of this year, which ended up passing away. So, you know, I'm just very happy that I got to do what I wanted to do and a lot of my dreams for my mom. And, you know, she spoiled me growing up. So I thought I could only pay her back and do it. And I'm just blessed to be able to do that, you know, in my early 20s and mid 20s. So... That is the cool thing about real estate. It's like you learn it, you earn it, and then you give it back, right? Like, I think we talk a lot actually on our show about like what makes a super driven person because you can teach someone skill, any skill, right? Like, but you cannot teach hunger. You cannot teach drive. And we all have this kind of like theory that really driven people like all of us and the people that come on our show are so driven because of bad shit that they've been through in their lives oh it's so true that shit teaches you such a good valuable lesson on like how to act in the future and like I grew up so poor like I was in this tiny town in the middle of winter and my mom my dad passed away when I was six so my mom was a single parent and like she raised me and my sister 
I, my other brothers are half siblings. So she raised my sister and I on like $15,000 a year. That was it in a small town with nothing. So like I came from that. It was always that hunger, that strive to work. Like I was, I was working at 15, running my first business, shoveling driveways and mowing lawns so I could help my mom. So we wouldn't starve. So we could actually eat good food. And I would give so much back to her growing up. And I know how I knew how hard she worked and how much she struggled. I'm like, I, I never want that to be ever a thing in this family again. And now me and my sister, you know, are in the top, you know, like 6% of all realtors here in the lower mainland. And I mean, before my mom passed away, like I was saying, I, I spoiled the hell out of her. That bitch got like, <laughs> my next goal was buy her a G-Wagon. I wanted to get her a blacked out G-Wagon because she was like this redneck in a truck. And like, she loved lifted vehicles. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get her a big blacked out G-Wagon. And I never got that. I think it was kind of ostentatious, but you know, <laughs> she had her one time truck that she drove around up north and, you know. Maybe you'll get it one day and put like her name on the license plate or something as like an homage to her. My name is my license plate. I've got the Walker license plate. So I got to get the plate now for my <laughs> But that, that's crazy powerful stuff that you've been through right like that is hunger that you like cannot teach somebody for sure no and and i mean like it yeah it's just you can't yeah you can't teach someone that it's a uh, it's definitely a life experience where you don't really want to teach someone either but also i mean i it, it was also really tough for me when i started making money like when i saw that first hundred thousand and like i i did start to forget my roots a little bit and it became like this like greed and you know it was really tough to, uh, to reflect on the shitty things that happened and make it a good thing because I was like wow I just all this stuff came into me at, like one at once and I just got overwhelmed and I did forget a lot of you know the issues and struggles I went through and I became a bit of a cynical person and uh, it took me a little while to learn to have a good healthy relationship with money you know it was kind of swung both ways from there to there from nothing to everything and uh, it was really hard to balance and, and find uh, be content with money, right? So now I, I wear like the crazy shit, like the outfits, and, but I, I do really respect money and, you know, now. It's, well, it's cool. I think the other thing that growing up, like obviously my story is different than yours. I've been through my shit. Like I feel like all of us on this podcast have been through some dark stuff. People that listen to us have, right? Like everyone has their stuff. Yours is very powerful. But the other thing that I feel like it makes us is a little bit like unfuckwithable, which I feel like as a business owner is a huge asset because like I know people that are so tightly wound around money that are like so afraid to take a risk or do something different. And like when you come from a background like that or when you've been through dark stuff, you're like, um, I've literally eating ramen noodles like dry in the back of the car like you can't fuck with me if yeah. if i lost all my money because i took a really big chance you go right back to that shit you know exactly how to survive it's, it's just money i could make it again right so i do think that's a competitive edge because like some people are so afraid to like make a move in life at all because it would mess with their their comfort oh it's so true and i mean yeah like you can't take like I could go broke tomorrow like we all could so easily and like I would be able to go back to, I could live I remember how I did it and like I was content living with nothing I didn't want to right I always knew I deserved more 
but I was content doing that. I was content, you know, having that. I'll never, I don't think I'll ever be there because I'm setting myself up now for a future of like, of like everything I want and everything I could ever need and everything my family ever needs. Right. And that's, so I don't think I'll ever go back there, but if I did, yeah, I could survive and, you know, be a little bit of a change, but it's like Shit's Creek. I don't know if you ever saw the show. Yeah. Right? You go from everything to nothing. And I mean, I just actually started watching it. I know it's like, well, my boyfriend's like, you have to watch. How have you never seen Shit's Creek? So I know I'm on four okay. now, watching it for like six hours a day now. That's like my my downtime. The little downtime I get is catching up. <laughs> so I want to know about what's going on in Canada. So like um, our market is shifting a little bit. We're super seasonal. So we always go into like a little bit of a slump into the fall and winter. And that's kind of happening right now. But obviously like the States this year over the last 18 months saw this market that we've like never seen before where we started seeing overbidding and appraisal gaps and no inspections and all this like hunger games type shit just to get people a house. But that's gone on in Canada for a long time. Oh, years. Yeah, we've been seeing, especially Vancouver itself. I mean, you know, we're one of the most overvalued real estate markets in the world. It's crazy. Like, I mean, our average price point for like a condo in downtown Vancouver, like one bedroom is like five to 700, which is cheap. And then like two bedrooms around 900 to 1.3. A detached house in the city of Vancouver, you know, you're, on the in the bad areas like one six in the good areas you're two and a half to three for like an average house so like we've always been overvalued it started around 2016 so i got into real estate in 2015 so it was like it was pretty low like the mill we called it we have a million dollar line thing we called it so it was like the million dollar line was in like main street in vancouver so you know probably 10 minutes east of me now it's in Chilliwack, which is about an hour and 50 minutes, hour 40 minutes east, right? So our million dollar line has been shifting to like every detached house is a million dollars anyway. And um, so in 2015, though, when I got in, it was a little lower. So I didn't really know much. I was, you know, just doing what I could, selling a few. And um, 2016, it just started insane. Like when I mean insane, we're talking like, those may not be the exact number, but you know, 30 to 50% increases in price in six months to eight months. Like we were seeing homes selling and you have like a, normally a two month close and like that shit would sell once for say a million. And then 30 days later, they'd resell it for 1.4 just to sign the contract. Then they'd assign it again for 1.5, sign it again for one six. And then in three months, your home's going from a million to one five, one six. And it hasn't even, it's still the current owner. And so we were seeing overbidding of, you know, my God, I would lose out on homes. I actually had a listing. It was one of my very first like detached house listings. I think we were listed at 1.25 and we got an offer at 155. It's like 300,000 over asking. Appraisal came back at 1.4, but they had no conditions. So they had to make up that difference of 150K on their appraisal because the home just didn't appraise. And now that house is probably worth 2 million. And it's, so it's, it's, it's been crazy. Like we look at America and we're like, okay, yeah, we've been literally have had that nonstop almost seasonally. It's definitely cyclical, but it's been a constant increase in pricing here in the last five years. It's been kind of crazy. You guys like, are probably like, calm down babies. It's okay. But like, this is 
really, obviously, besides the fact that I love you, um, you know, why, like, I thought it was really important for you to come on the show, because this dispels to me so many of the crazy things down here that agents are saying. So, like, number one, this is not sustainable. And when prices go up very quickly in a short period of time, the market will crash. But Vancouver has been dealing with this 16, 17, five years? Five years. It's been a constant thing in Vancouver, but like I've been in it six years. And that's when the last five years have been the craziness, right? Like it's, yes, it's dropped a little bit, but like when you see a 25% increase in prices over the, in a 200K increase in prices and it drops a hundred grand, it's really not dropping at all, right? So, and it is sustainable. Like, I mean, well, you wouldn't think it is, but I mean, people are still buying and selling nonstop. This is my busiest year ever. And we saw it like in beginning of COVID, prices started dropping, but then like all over North America, inventory just dropped. And like, there was no inventory. Everyone still wanted to buy, but like inventory was dropping and then it started picking up. And like, we just couldn't keep up with the demand. Like we, right now we have such a lack of inventory that like stuff that shouldn't be selling is selling in multiple offers just because there's nothing on the market. And um, it's, it's been weird. And beginning of the year, I remember a house in Chilliwack, which is like really far out of Vancouver. Like it's like the burbs, like yeah, far, an hour and 25, an hour and 30 minutes. It was listed at like five, I think it was 5.99. And I was like, okay, that's a good price for a house. 40 offers. So we, we bid 850,000 and we lost. And I was like, I thought we had it in the bag. I was like, there's no way, there's nothing, it never has a house sold that much in this area. And it sold for 880. Now that same house is, and that was in March of this year. That was just what, like, I don't know how many months ago, that was like six months ago. And now that same house would be about a million bucks. So how do you even set an expectation for pricing or appraisal or any of those things? Like, I understand you guys have a, a lot of cash influx into your market. So it's probably not a big deal to make up that gap, but we don't always. Um, so I'm fighting with appraisers all day. Like it's my full-time job, um, like all week. I don't know. They just physically can't come in at appraised value. It's like an allergy or something. Um, but we're having major issues with that here, but we don't have a massive amount of cash in our market. So how are you guys deciding on pricing and setting an expectation, and then how are you getting appraisers to get on board? So we actually just, like, I've never had appraisal issues ever. Like, I don't talk to appraisers. I, I, I that's one thing I'm like, like big disconnect. You guys are also, I mean, you gotta take everyone that's listening like a second to remember, we're talking about a different country, right? So like their government is completely, like, I don't even know what an appraiser's mission is there. It might be totally different than it is here too, right? So. Well, same. It's it's weird though. Like I have had appraisal issues, but like again, we have a lot of cash. People make up that difference in appraised value versus their purchase value because a lot of people are waiving all conditions. And when you waive all your conditions, you really have no choice. You either walk away, lose your big deposit, because we have high deposits of typically five percent when you write a contract. You have a million dollar purchase. The second you remove subject, you're paying fifty thousand dollars in an unrefundable deposit. Right. So we're between three and 5% deposit on every home that you purchase. So people aren't going to just walk away because of appraisal. If they want the house, they're going no subjects and they have to make up the difference in appraisal. Although we're not seeing appraisals come in very low. We usually see them come in at contract price or just above or just under. 
but there has been, you know, the market did kind of take a bit of a dip this summer. There was a, some people, none of my clients getting appraisal, like differences, but they were happening, but people just, again, they make it up, right? Oh my God, I have so many questions. So how do you, <clears throat> okay, so first of all, going back to the whole like number one thing agents are saying is this is not sustainable. Prices are going up too fast. We're going to crash. Do you guys feel like that there? Like the sense, like the overwhelming sense in the United States is like, oh my God, we're like headed towards something bad because what must go up must come down and went up really quick. So it's going to come down really. It's like this overwhelming feeling of crash is coming and agents are so stupid. They're telling that to their clients all day long. Like, do you guys feel like that? Or are you just like, oh shit, it's expensive to buy in Vancouver. Well, I, yeah, I do feel like that. But like, cause I even like when I first started real estate, I had an opportunity to buy like a penthouse condo in Burnaby for like 400 grand. But I was like, yikes, that's a lot of money. And now that thing is like 1.3 million. And I was like, well, I should have fucking bought it. And, but I'm still like, I, I don't own in Vancouver because the value is like, I just, it's hard to sell a city. You don't see the value, right? Like I don't see, you know, I have a listing in downtown that's like 1.4 million, 1.5 million. And it's like a thousand square feet and it's 50 years old. I tell my clients, it's like, Hey, if you have the money, great, buy it. But there's other better markets outside of Vancouver that you can invest in that are going to go up. Like, yeah, it's, it's just, I guess it's showing it's sustainable, but I don't believe it that it is like no place should be worth this much. I mean, we're behind New York city and like Sydney, Australia, basically in for price of real estate. And like, to me, it doesn't make sense. Rents are low here too. So like you're buying negative cap properties and like, you're, you're happy with a two cap or a three cap when you're buying an investment property where it's like anywhere else, it's like, give me like a six, seven, eight cap minimum here. It's like, I have clients that purchase investments. You buy a house for, you know, 1.5 mil rent it for 3000 and you're happy. And I'm like, so if you have the money, there's a huge speculation value here, right? We have a lot of foreign buyers. We have a lot of foreign investment and um, you know, Vancouver is even trying to combat that with foreign buyer taxes. Like Canada even proposing like a full on ban of foreign ownership. For two years and like so we've been trying to combat this for years and bring the prices down to a more reasonable level but nothing has ever worked or it's only worked temporarily then it just shoots right back up the minute people realize there's a value here to buy vancouver is the nice to me the nicest city in canada it's a beautiful it doesn't snow there's always going to be some value you know in canada versus the states just for a lot of migrants right people like moving from china people moving from asia india a lot of them pick Canada over the States just because there's a lot of them think it's a better start. You know, it's a safer country. I mean, we're so big and so few people and, you know, tax rates are through the roof. You know, we have our healthcare. And so people are always going to be moving to Canada and it's, you know, they typically bring with them money and it's, it's been a constant battle of just us fighting these prices that are climbing and i have been thinking i'm like hey there's no way this they're gonna crash like what but they have never and it, it's still going up you know to this day <laughs> you know what i hear when i hear that i think when people move out of california and are all moving here to colorado they should be moving to canada tell your friends move to canada please right but like, that's the thing. I look at California as like the biggest analogy to Canada because Californians are fucking shit up everywhere in the States. 
they go from like selling their like shit box in fucking Anaheim to like moving to Texas and buying like 18 houses for the price of that little dump. And like, or the, and I think California is the biggest you know, issue with like driving prices up in the States. Just like how Canada, like someone in Vancouver sells their house for 3 million and buys five houses and two hours away for investments. It's, you know, people are just starting to like not see value in like the overinflated markets and going to these little markets you know, Colorado's beautiful. Like, shit, why is that only 300, 400 grand? Like, that's what we look at. Like, now I, I just bought a house like three and a half hours away. I'm actually going there tomorrow morning to do renos on it. 280 grand for a house with a coach house. And I'm like, God, what the fuck? That's so cheap. When like the locals are like, that's not cheap. Like, this is 190 grand last year. But like, we're looking at that as like, wow, a bargain. Right. So that's like starting to artificially inflate prices everywhere but they're just coming in line with the bigger cities now. And now they look like discounts. <laughs> so it's, it's weird how like these big markets drive little markets all over the, around it. Yeah, we're seeing uh, really a major slowdown, um, which is pretty normal for this time of year, but it seems a little bit more aggressive than it normally is. Um, it was almost like the last two weeks. I don't know if it's like that um, for you, Lindsay, but like Colorado Spring, we've had like a screeching halt basically of traffic and offers. And I don't know exactly what's driving it. I have some thoughts um, that are fairly political that I won't share, but um, I think that's probably what's driving some of that. We're in a very military um, heavy town. So we've got a lot of uncertainty there that I think might be a cause for some of that. But um, I don't know. Just say it. it We're always going to war. You guys are like up there. You're so fucking happy. We're always yeah. going to war. Like, how many times can we be like, "Oh, we're going to war again"? Here goes the real estate market. <laughs> yeah. See, like, I just don't understand that. Actually, it's funny. I had a client actually moved two years ago from Colorado Springs, sold his townhouse there, and moved to Vancouver, and was like, "What in the fuck?" is this pricing he's like i can't buy anything and i was like no you can't like i'm like yeah us dollars like our dollar is shitty so like you get a 25 percent discount on everything but like he was still like i think he got like 300 for his like three bedroom townhouse and like 300 grand doesn't get you anything here like you're not gonna you can't get anything nothing you're not i mean you can get like a studio 300 square foot condo in like the downtown east side which is like our homeless shelter it's pretty bad it's just like drugs and overdoses and you can get like a little condo there but i mean that's about it so <laughs> we so see a lot of stick we'll move you, here <laughs> i've seen Lindsay was telling me earlier that you do um quite a few flips and you have some funny names for your flips which i think is hilarious yeah. all um, the homo hut. <laughs> you call it a what a homo hut <laughs> a homo hut <laughs> I go to these small towns like my hometown I bought the flip up there and I ended up they're not really flips because like I don't end up selling them because I love them but um I guess it's um yeah we could call them flips but <laughs> I have to start selling my flips so that's the issue I keep renting them out because they just seem like they just turn into such good rentals so but yeah they're all homo huts I have homo hut one and homo hut two and I'm buying my homo condo which is my going to be my actual first flip I'm going to be hopefully getting that and closing in early November mid-November Oh my like first aluminium or something. I feel like we gotta have a better homominium. That's instead of like that. Yeah. <laughs> I like that's what I'll do. But that one I'm like how how blessed are we that 
because we're similar-ish, right? Like different stuff, but similar backgrounds. Like all of us on this show, no college educations or major degrees. And we've all gone from crazy youth to like <clears throat> owning multiple homo huts and homo minions. Like that's what's so cool about real estate, right? Oh yeah, you work your own future. You do whatever you want. You work as hard as you need. And you get to where you want to be. And it, I love that shit. Like in seven years, I went from literally homeless to I well, I'll have well, I'm buying my mom's house too. So I'll have four. I'm hoping I have four houses by the beginning of next year. And like I never thought I'd be there. Like I was like, I remember growing up, I'm like, wow, if I get a one, like if even just have 20 grand. And now like you we can make that in a day just by prospecting for a client, getting lucky and one phone call can make you 10, 15 grand. And like you work as hard as you want, you can set every level and you can achieve anything you anything you ever desired in real estate without well, voting that you can go from like literally homeless and sleeping in your car to make sure no one that you love ever has to be homeless or sleeping in their car too, right? Like that's super powerful. Love it. Like I'm I'm super proud of myself and, and my sister and my mom and whole family for you should be. You, you, I mean, I'm proud of you. That's awesome. If I had my shit together, even a little bit, the way you do at your age, I'd be fucking retired by now. <laughs> <laughs> right? I should be retired by now, I feel, but no. <laughs> no, just wait. Just wait. Okay, I have two <laughs> more questions. At 30, dude. I want to ask about pricing stuff. Okay, so like, um, how do you emotionally handle take care of people because like uh, I, this is my 20th year in real estate for the first time in my entire career i had to tell multiple people this year i'm really sorry you cannot afford to buy a home in colorado anymore and i mean these are like good kids that have good jobs and i didn't have a fucking 800 credit score in my 20s right like they have good credit and they've worked hard and they have down payment money but it's physically impossible because of pricing right now and that's happened all over the country so <clears throat> i'm assuming people kind of know now because this has gone on for so long when they go to vancouver like oh shit it's expensive but how do you tell people you can't afford to live here without being a dick i don't and like we have like you kind of hinging on it we have because like people understand it's so expensive here Right, they know that like you're not gonna be able to afford something. So like people just don't try unless they have family that can help them or they have really good jobs. And like it's harder to get a mortgage here. You've got to put five percent down on anything under a million. You can get typically for some homebuyers are buying around a five hundred k mark. That's like a good average five hundred to six hundred k is what you're probably gonna get for your first home. So you need to have a minimum twenty five thousand down and closing costs of about five to 10 grand. And if you don't have that and a job of at least making a hundred to 150,000 a year, you're not buying a home. And like, we've just kind of come to accept that. And like renting is not like in the States, I well, I don't know exactly, but I've heard like, it's kind of like a stigma to rent. I rent and like, I'm a realtor. I rent $1,800 a month for a beautiful one bedroom with an incredible view of the ocean. And like this to buy would be, you know, 800,000. I don't see the value there, right? So we just have this thing. It's like, hey, if you want to buy, great. 
here's a mortgage broker. They can, I'm not going to be the one to tell them they can't afford, but my mortgage broker is. I deflect that shit. I don't want to be the bad bearer of bad news, right? I'll tell you if your offer is accepted or not, but you go to the mortgage broker first and he can give you the bad news that you can't afford to buy, right? So I just don't want to have to give that information. And like I said, we also have that just people know, right? If you don't make six figures, you're probably not buying a home unless you've got mom and dad to, to co-sign. So is that difficult um, for you as a realtor there um, trying to get buyers at a lower price point for you guys because it's so much cheaper to rent? Like there is no value. Like I'm listening to you like $1,800 a month for an $800,000 house. Like and that's in the somebody city. must be hiding drug money out there. Like why in the hell would you buy when you could rent for that much cheaper? Like at least we're on a level playing field as far as rent versus own. Oh, they're about the same. Um, yeah or more to rent um, down here. But for you guys with it so unbalanced, like- Yeah, why, why are rents low? I was gonna ask that too. Cause we're usually like pretty on par or sometimes renting, probably not anymore, but sometimes renting was a little higher. So it's just cause the prices went up so much and like the government here is really good. So renting is actually like being a landlord fucking sucks. Like all the rules are stacked against the landlord. And that's what's helped contribute making Vancouver such an affordable place to live if you're a renter, because like you can't just jack up rent. So like you can raise rent once a year. And I think it's right now 2.5% maximum once a year. And you cannot evict someone unless you're moving into the place. So tenants have the rights to stay. Only the tenant can leave if they want. You, it's almost impossible to, it's like California. It's nearly impossible to evict a tenant. Like, I just had to deal with it. I had to, like, oh my God, it was a nightmare trying to evict this tenant of mine in my one of my rentals. But like, you just can't kick out a tenant for no reason. And like, you know, we have a lot of rental buildings in downtown. Like I'm in a rental building. Like, almost all the buildings around me are rental buildings and they're relatively rent controlled because of this. So you see rents are a lot lower because the government has stepped in to make it so greedy landlords can't just jack up rent. And you know, it's, it's just kind of made the average market rents always stay a little lower in Metro Vancouver. Like two grand for a one bedroom is kind of the average in downtown. There are cheaper options, like if, for buying downtowns, just like where I live. So and it's the most expensive. So I like to, you know, talk about the pricing there, but you can purchase in East Vancouver, you know, one bedroom condo for 450 to 500,000. And that's what we're seeing the first time buyers going to because downtown and like these more expensive luxury areas just aren't worth it. So that's how we're able to sell people into stuff is say, hey, don't live downtown, make a sacrifice, live, you know, 25 minutes outside, 30 minutes outside, build your equity and then come buy something you want or buy an investment property two hours away, like I do, and live for, you know, make $500 a month uh, in cash flow and put that towards renting downtown. And then you're paying $15 a month. So like I live for... I mean, I pay about two grand after everything here and I've got about $600 in cash flow coming in from two properties, six, 700. So like I technically want to live for like $1,300 a month. So my, my rent's actually cheaper and it makes sense for me to rent here where my money gets better use elsewhere in investments. So Just it makes- Just purely curiosity, like how much are your property taxes on average there? Like what percent? Oh, they're so low. It's fucked. Like- they're so low. We have the lowest property tax in the world almost. Like it's fucked. Like a million dollar house. Ooh, actually like a million dollar house, you're probably like three grand a year. Like, what? and you 
tax grants. So like that kind of does offset our costs per month. Cause I know like, I don't know how much you are there, but I've heard like Texas and shit, like you're like 12 grand a year. Well, so like where we live, they're typically one to 1.5% of the purchase price. But like Texas is a great example. Texas does not have a state income tax. So they're not taxing your paycheck on income, but your property value tax can be 5%. On the East Coast, like Long Island, New York, like some of those people, 80% of their mortgage goes to their property tax. What the fuck? Like yeah. that, that's crazy to me. Like I have a client that just bought a Inverna, yeah, it's a Burnaby. They bought like a $525,000 condo and like property tax is like high there. And it was like 3,100, but then you get like a 800 to a thousand dollar rebate on that. So like, you're like two grand a year. Wait, what, what's the rebate? It's for like, if you own your home, your first home, your only home you live in, you get a bit of a rebate on your property tax. And do you guys um, stimulate like I grants or something? Like there's some sort of incentive from the government for home ownership, right? Or am I wrong? We have a property transfer tax. So when you purchase a home, the purchaser has to per like pay property transfer tax when they buy it. And it's, I always mix it up, but I think it's, was it 2% on the first 200,000 and 1% from, well, on 500 grand, it's like nine grand. And if you buy a home under 525,000, you get that money back from your property transfer, if it's your first home. So that's the grant. So you don't pay property transfer tax on your first home that you're living in for a minimum of a year and you can put 5% down. So that's our, our big credit is, you know, basically you're saving property transfer tax. You guys are like so fucking civilized. It's outrageous. Um, okay, so now I want to go the opposite way. So like what happens, you were talking about um, your market being cyclical, just like ours, right? It goes up, it goes down. So um, we're seeing, right? So like we swung way, 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 way up. Buyers were panicking. Now we're just adjusting like this much, but sellers are panicking because their house isn't selling in two days and they're not getting $150,000 over asking anymore. And they're really mad about it. So like, how do you manage the expectations of your sellers when the market comes down just a little bit? You know, I feel like we're in the exact same boat with that. I mean, people are people, right? They panic at the littlest things. Like us as realtors, are like, oh my God, fucking stop. But I mean, when I'm a seller, I'm like, oh my God, why is the market dropping? So like, I think we all act the same. I mean, I hate it. Like that's probably the thing I hate most about my job is like when the market starts to shift a little bit and I have listings and I'm like, oh, I have to tell all these people now that like, hey, we got to do price reduction, price adjustment, <laughs> right? It's hard. I hate it. Like that's what the worst part about my job is that. Well, other than telling buyers, sorry, like, you know, prices have, <laughs> are going up. We got to move areas. But, or you yeah, didn't get that 57th millionth house you offered on, right? Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I did. <laughs> I heard you say something interesting um, that I think is really cool. So, like, in the beginning, when you, when one of your first sentences that you said to us was like, my market is like downtown Vancouver up to like two hours away. And um, I was like, whoa, why are you doing two hours away? Right. And granted, you have a team and that helps. But the thing that I keep hearing you saying is the market in the city where you are is so oversaturated and so expensive that you're finding other places where there's opportunity. So I think that's so cool because here agents get kind of like clowned on a little bit for like 
you're the expert in Parker and you're not allowed to leave Parker. And while that is like a really cool idealistic thing to say, like I hear you saying, I'm going to wherever I need to go to service people and make money. It's true. Yeah. Like I, that's the one thing I've never let like geographical location limit me. Unless if I have to know the area, but like when I was homeless, all I did was drive around and fucking learn areas. And I've got like, I'm ADHD like severely. So like my brain hyper focuses on shit. That's just weird. And areas like I know every area I can like almost rattle off every parent average price point. I do two hours of market research every evening in my bed, just laying on my phone, looking at real estate listings and solds in all the areas. And I use that as my tool to be like, yo, you can't afford here, but like, I've got a good opportunity here. Here's a cool area that's like blowing up that I think you can make 50 grand in, in a year and a half, then sell and we can move you closer, right? So like, that's been my tool of allowing people to get into the market and probably why I've been so successful is just not like limiting myself. Like I'll go two hours away if I know there's a great market and I can make my client money or they want to buy their first home. That does not stop me. have like one centralized MLS service or like, yeah, okay. So that makes it but like the lower mainland Vancouver from Squamish to like Hope which is about two hours away two and a half hours away is about is the same well it's two different MLS systems but they're integrated like I won't go I'll I'll sometimes go outside my MLS like to my hometown which is 15 hours away or to Princeton where I bought my other rental which is like three and a half hours away but like only to like investors who are just buying houses sight unseen right but I stay within the MLS and yeah, it makes my life easier. I won't leave it unless I really have to. I just think it's cool to give agents permission to figure out other ways to do things right now because, you know, like sometimes like the training and the coaching people are so like micro-focused. You got to do this exactly the same way. But like, I mean, look at you. You're like, I'm, I'll go wherever opportunity is for myself and my clients. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's funny because I had a coach well, like two years ago and they're like, you need to get a niche. You need to get a niche. And I'm like, fuck it. I don't need a niche. Like my niche is like knowing a lot of areas and relocation. So that was I like, well, you know, I'll move a client from downtown Vancouver to, to Abbotsford an hour and 25 minutes away. And they can get a detached house for the price of their one, one bedroom and den condo. Like that's my niche is finding people like clever ways for them to get what they want at, at a different price. And they may not like a lot of people don't never leave like downtown, like realtors are like, oh, I only sell downtown. And it's like, okay, like the most overvalued real estate market in the world. Like, I, I don't see how you justify that as a good thing to your clients when you can offer them different options that may be better to their needs. All right. I have and one more question before we wrap yeah. up based on what you just said. So um, how do you, like when a client is, they want to buy a property, that's 5 million today. That was like a million yesterday. And they come to you and they say, but Walker, am I paying too much or am I overpaying or is the market like, what do you say to them? Cause the answer is yes. But what do you say? Well, and I'm like, well, do you want it? And I'm like, like it's location location here is the biggest thing. And I think that's everywhere. Right. Like, do you want it? Like, I'm going to just take you to like my view. Cause like, I know I shouldn't do this, but like, I'm like, hey, do you want this? Like, do you want to have the ocean view? Do you want to live right next to the beach? It's beautiful. If yes, then no, you're not paying too much because you're not going to get this anywhere else. You can't find that. If no, then okay, we can find you a different area. You don't have to live downtown. We can get you a better spot. 
but it all comes down to their perceived value. If that's where they want to be, then great. I'm going to sell them that. I've sold $3 million condos here that are 1,800 square feet, like 1,200, 1,300, 1,400 square feet. You're $2,000 a square foot. But I'm like, is this where you want to live? You got the money? Cool. It's worth it to you. But if that's not your goal, if you want to make money, no, this would be stupid to purchase. Did, did Vancouver crash the way that we did during like seven, eight? No. I mean, I was in grade eight, but I've done my research on it. It did, but no, we didn't have the subprime mortgages. We didn't have, you know, the fucking all that craziness because we've put always put safeguards on our mortgages. We've got insurance. If you buy a home under 20% down, you're getting mortgage insurance. You have to. And like, that's an extra, you know, X amount per month. Right. So like we have safeguards that prevent everyone from defaulting. And also like the market's constantly gone up here. So you're not going to foreclose because you've got instantly hundred K in equity. Plus your down payment of 20% that you put down on your $1 million house. Cause you can't buy a house less than 20% down under over, or sorry, over a million dollars. So wow. you only got 200 grand in equity when you purchase and then most likely the market's going to go up. So within a year, you're going to have 250K in equity. So we never really saw like crazy amounts of defaults and, and people going broke and going tits up and losing their homes just because like the government has put in some safeguards to prevent that. And we also now have like a different rate. So when you, we get a mortgage, our mortgages are cheap, like 2%, 1.8%, but you don't qualify that. You have to qualify. I can't remember the exact, I think it's like oh, just about 3% higher. So you have to qualify first at your listed rate. So 1.8%. You have to re-qualify at about like 2.8% higher, which drops your purchasing power of 5%. But if you can't qualify at that higher rate, you're not getting a mortgage. And that's their fail safe if the market does go up, doubles in interest rates. The interest rate go up 2 or 3%. Uh, you're not going to be able to afford because that's what you were qualified at. Wow, it's so interesting. Holy cow. I think... You're the first person we've had on from another country, right? And it feels funny to say that because you're just yeah. like right there. You're just upstairs, but. Like the States. I can't go to it right now, but I can see the States because it's only like 30 minutes away, but. Yeah. Well, you definitely should come down and visit us in Denver for sure. I would love to go to Denver. I'm actually going to LA next week, but like that's my first trip in 19 months. I'm so fucking excited to go to Los Angeles and like just get away. <laughs> So tell everyone where they can find you if they have referrals for Vancouver. Yes. So I am on Facebook, Walker Adair. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, at Walker Adair. All the same on everything. Um, yeah, find me there. You can call me, find my phone number. Just Google my name. I'm the only Walker in like Canada. So <laughs> I know Walker, he's a realtor up north, but. <laughs> That's funny. The only Walker. Well Thank you so much for being with us. That was so fun. I'm going to stop our recording. So just stay with us for just a couple seconds. Okay. Angela, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all realtors and would love to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Connect with the homegirls on social media at the real homegirls podcast.